I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. Greed, deception, abuse of power, that's no plan. They, they just gatekeep knowledge, you know? They're, they're to total masters of deception. They manipulate everything. You know, these, these pricks at the hell that lie to us. It's... I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. They're, they're setting it up for the Great Deception. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it all revolves around the Great Deception. Yeah, right? it, bingo. And L.A. and I talked about that. I said, L.A., is this the Great Deception? And he didn't hesitate. He said, absolutely. I never used to question before, and now I question everything. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. The world needs a wake-up call. Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Thanks for joining me. We got a good one tonight, an interesting one. It's going to be a long one um, because I'm going to go through a book uh, that kind of talks about, well, let's get to it, the industrial society and its future. Okay. We're going to look at this book. We're going to see... Uh, what predictions he made or what you know foresight he had as to where we are today and he nailed it in many many aspects first guys patreon patreon.com great deception podcast we're going to have a zoom call friday the 13th for patrons only so if you're uh, a member of the patreon you will be invited on Friday to the call. I send out the link the day of the call for those that are interested. And uh, we have some great discussions. Usually, you know, handful to 10 people on there. And it's great. People come and go as they please. Uh, so if you're interested, go check out patreon.com slash the great deception podcast. We got a review, guys, from Jay Bain. Thank you very much, my friend. It says, uh, most informative while being highly critical. Five-star review. Matt takes a journalistic approach to his research into the old world and any topic he explores. His approach is different from other podcasters since he is highly critical of all information, is not afraid to call it information he suspects may be biased. I appreciate that, man. I try and do my best. I try and stay pretty neutral on things and let the information lead me in one direction or the other. Now, Am I guilty of it sometimes too? Yeah, but I'm not afraid to fall on my sword and admit that when I'm wrong and, and I will discuss things with people have no problem with that. And if I'm wrong, I'll admit it. Not a problem. 
show me the information. That's what that's what rules in my world. So thank you. I appreciate that, brother. And and also I want to thank Jared on the Patreon on the patron uh for uh increasing his his donation to the show. I really appreciate that, my man. Um, thank you very much. And to all my patrons, thank you so much. And uh, I hope you enjoy the content, guys. Over there, we get the the Monday Night Master Debaters every week. You get the video. Um, you also get uh, books, uh, posts that I'm going to start. I'm, I'm going to start amping it up over there this year. Um, I'm just starting to learn how to how to work that and and really figure it out. So I got some people helping me out too, which is nice. Uh, showing me some things here or there because I really am, am technically uh, or technologically retarded. Um, so much like tonight's show and the author of tonight's, I don't know what you want to call it. I, I guess it's a book. It's its a short, short book, but it's called the, let's see here. Okay. It is called the Industrial Society and its Future. Okay, and this was this was produced by the Freedom Club, in and it was written between 1971 and 1995 when it was published in 1995. Now, I was going to play this as kind of a you know a little game with you all and 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 read the whole thing and then at the end say, oh, by the way, you know who wrote this. Guys, this is the Unabomber Manifesto. Okay. And 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 why did they why did they label it the Unabomber Manifesto? So that anyone that reads it is deemed crazy. Okay. It just gives you that eerie feeling to it when they do things like that. Okay. So what do we have to do? Ignore the noise. Go read the data. Let the information take it take you wherever it may okay you may you may read this thing and say oh this guy's batshit crazy you may say oh man he makes some good points you may say he's batshit crazy and he makes some good points all of which are possible but if you think about this he was making these points in the 70s 80s early 90s at best so the, the the most recent this information is is over 25 years old. Okay. And at, at, at most it's over 50 years old. That he saw and he's telling us where he sees society going. Okay. And he, he says right off the bat, the industrial revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race. That's basically his thesis statement right there. And I have a hard time disagreeing with that if you start looking at it and we start looking at when did the industrial revolution take place and what has taken place to mankind since and we have to look without the rose-colored glasses that we've been indoctrinated to believe okay the the democracy of america it's bullshit guys this is supposed to be a republic by the way you know, we get, you know, one, one group is bad. Another group is good. Another group you can't talk about. Okay. This is where we we've, this has all been created since the industrial revolution racism. That's an industrial revolution term. 
the, all these ideas, these concepts are re- industrial revolution term. Why? To divide and conquer. Okay. And he even says it in here. And in this, he'll go after modern leftism. He'll, he, he's going to talk about, you know, what causes this? Well, it's feelings of insecurity and it's over socialization. And, and I, I agree on a lot of this and I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read segments of it and, and, uh, try and hit the bigger points here. And and why does he think we are where we're, we're going where we are? He says, because the power process is being destroyed. The power process of the individual. And what is that? Well, that's to set a goal. That's to put in effort to achieve that goal. That's attainment of the goal. And then that's autonomy. Well, in today's society, you're not allowed that freedom in a sense. And that's what he explains. And he talks about, he saw this coming. Now he's going to talk about the sources of the social problems, which is exactly what I mentioned in the last episode, natural versus unnatural. What's causing this? It's our disconnect from nature or the natural way of life of humankind. Guys, it's not natural for us to sit in desks in office buildings for eight to 10 to 12 hours at a clip. That's not how humans are meant to live. It's, it's unnatural. And we'll talk about that. He talks about scientists, guys, and the motives behind them. And that they he starts seeing that they are going to be motivated by, and, and they were at this time too, by money and status. Not by science itself, which is the big problem that many of us in, in, in our circle have with science today. It's not about science. It's about the people paying the scientists. And that's a huge problem. Uh, he talks about the industrial tech, uh, industrial technology, and that in an industrial technological society, it cannot be reformed. Once it starts, that's it. It's either you're in or you're out. It can't be fixed. And he says the restriction of freedom is unavoidable in this type of system. Unavoidable. And what do we see today? What have we seen over the last couple of years? A massive restriction on freedom, whether it was medical freedom, freedom of choice, whether it was freedom of travel, whether it was freedom of place of employment, all these things are starting to get restricted now. And and it's only going to get tighter if they get in their carbon, you know, whatever global crap scam they're going to pull, climate change scam. You know, your your carbon credits and all this bullshit, all that is, guys, is another money laundering scheme they're setting up. It's the next one. It's the ozone of 2020s, right? Then he's going to talk about how do they control human behavior. And, and we know they control and manipulate human behavior. They've been working on this for hundreds of years, how to control the human being. Then he's going to talk about what he sees for the future. And then the dangers of leftism, which now I'm not into the whole left-right bullshit, but he's spot on here on a lot of this because this is where it's gone, All right? He's going to overall, let's give a, a high-level summary. Technology is bad, is his assessment. Collectivism and leftism is bad, and that's where we're being pushed, to the groupthink, the one thought. Science with a dollar sign for an S. It's going to be a problem. He sees it. 
and the natural versus the unnatural, which we've talked about in so many different episodes. All right. So let's get into this because this is a long one. And he, so he started off with a banger, right? The industrial revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race. Spot on. And he's going to explain why. If it survives, it may eventually achieve a low level of physical, psychological suffering, but only after passing through a, a long and very painful period of adjustment and only at a cost of permanently reducing human beings and many other living organisms to engineered products or mere cogs in the social machine. If the system breaks down, the consequences will be very painful, but the bigger system grown, more disastrous, the results of the breakdown will be. So if it is to break down, it had best break down sooner than later, right? It's You don't want to see that machine that drags on because the longer it drags on, the more painful because the more people get attached to it. And that's what we've seen now. The reason why if the system crashed right now, it would be you know, catastrophic for, for so many is because they're so dependent on the system. And that's what the system is designed for. The only way the system works is if you are dependent on it. Well, how do they get you dependent on it? This is how. Going through these very varied levels of ways of doing it, their manipulation over time. We therefore advocate a revolution against the industrial system. That's what he's saying. He says, this is not to be a political revolution. Its object will be to overthrow not governments, but the economic and technological basis for the present society, right? So he's not looking to go after the government, but the the corporations, right? And that's the problem that we have today. It's with the corporations. Okay, he's going to go into leftism now. One of the more widespread manifestations of craziness of our world is leftism during the first half of the 20th century leftism could have been practically identified with socialism when we speak of lefties in this article we have in mind mainly socialites collectivists politically correct types feminists gay and disability activists animal right activists and the like you guys all know them sjw's <clears throat> is what we'd call them today Okay, the two psychological tendencies that underline modern leftism, we call feelings of inferiority and over socialization. Okay, and, and feelings of inferiority, man, th this hits it on the head. He goes by feelings of inferiority, we mean not only inferiority feelings in the strict sense, but the whole spectrum of related traits of low self esteem feelings, of powerlessness depressive uh, tendencies, defeatism, guilt, self-hatred, etc. These feelings are decisive in determining the direction of modern leftism, which is very interesting because that's where we are now. We see it. 2022, we see this stuff. We see how they just want more government control depression i mean suicide rates are higher higher than they have ever been I, I would imagine i mean we just went through one of the greatest periods of depression ever i mean uh, and and the self-hatred man i mean how can any self-respecting person do some of the things that these people do 
So it's absolutely spot on. And he nails it right here. He goes, they are hypersensitive about the words used to designate minorities and about anything that is said concerning minorities. The term Negro, Oriental, handicapped, or chick for an African or an Asian or disabled person or woman originally had a derogatory uh, connotation. Broad and chick were merely the feminine equivalents of guy, dude, or fellow. The negative connotations have been attached to these terms by the activists themselves. Some animal rights activists have gone so far as to object to the word pet and insist on the replacement of animal companion. It's bullshit, guys. It's that whole idea of words. Because, listen, the only... uh, I'm not the first one to say this. The only thing that can hurt these people, these elitists, these high power people is words and violence because they have all the money. They have all the resources they ever would need and then some. So the only thing that bothers them is words, which could be truth. It could be lies. It could be whatever words and violence because those are the only things that scare them. Those are the only things that hurt their feelings or their personal being. Those who are the most sensitive about politically incorrect terminology are not the average black ghetto dweller, Asian immigrant, abused woman, or disabled person, but uh, a minority of activists, many of whom do not even belong to any of the oppressed group, but from some privileged uh, stratus of society, right? These, these are these, uh, you know... Trust fund kids, they have nothing better to do. These college kids brainwashed by the system, mainly white people, right? I see it in my town. I'm in a small little town, okay, in Western Massachusetts. And every Monday, there's about four to eight, you know, elderly white people. And one one younger white guy now has joined the group and they go out there and they hold signs of BLM and I can't breathe and we have to end uh, white supremacy and all this bullshit. And these are the people they're talking about because most of these people would not invite minorities in for dinner if they came knocking on their door and they needed a place to stay. But they gaslight you. Okay. And he says the leftists themselves feel that these groups are inferior They would never admit to themselves that they have such feelings, but it is precisely how they see these groups and identify with these problems. They they do. They think these people are inferior. They think they're better than. They think they're less than. It's like how the Americans dealt with the natives. They would talk down to them like they were superior. It's asinine. Leftists tend to hate anything that has an image of being strong, good, and successful. They hate America. They hate Western civilization. They hate white males. They hate rationality. Spot on right there. Nails it. Thus, it is clear that these faults are not leftist real motive for hating America in the West. He hates America in the West because they are strong and successful. Okay. Words like confidence, self-reliance, initiative, enterprise, optimism play little role in the liberal leftist vocabulary. The leftist is anti-individualistic, pro-collectivist. 
He wants society to solve everyone's problems for them, right? Think about back to the the whole Rona situation. Satisfy everyone's needs for them, right? Mask up for everybody else, for everyone's safety and take care of them, right? The face diaper, that, that was their security blanket. They could hold on to it. He is not the sort of person who has an inner sense of confidence in his ability to solve his own problems and satisfy his own needs, like going and reading and researching for himself. The leftist is antagonistic to the concept of uh, competition because deep down inside, he feels like a loser. And that's a problem. Most of these people have no confidence whatsoever in themselves, no self-value, nothing. Modern leftist philosophies tend to dismiss reason, science, objective reality, and to insist that everything is culturally relative. They are deeply involved emotionally in their attack on truth and reality. They attack these concepts because of their own psychological needs. More importantly, the leftists hate science and rationality because they classify certain beliefs as true, i.e. successful, superior and other beliefs as false, i.e. failed, inferior. Leftists prefer uh, to give society the credit or blame for an individual's ability or lack of it, right? It's not, it's no one person's fault. His feelings of inferiority are so ingrained that he cannot conceive of himself as individually strong and valuable. Hence the collectivism of uh, the leftist. He can feel strong as a member of a large group, or a mass movement, which which he identifies himself. Okay, think of BLM, think of Antifa, right? Individually, these people are little mice, tiny little mice, but together they're like a pack of rats and they're annoying and you know they can cause damage. Hostility is too prominent of a component uh, of leftist behavior. It is to drive for power, right? They they need power. They've never had it before. They've never had control. Helping black people is not their real goal. Instead, race problems serve as an excuse for them to expose their own hostility and frustrated need for power. In doing so, they actually harm black people because activists' hostile attitude toward the white majority tends to intensify race hatred. If our society has no social problems at all, the leftists would have to invent problems in order to provide themselves with an excuse for making a fuss. And I agree with that, right? If everything's fine, they're going to make something up just so they can let you know. They have to be heard. They have to be important. You have to, it's that pay attention to me, right? Daddy, daddy issues. Pay attention to me, daddy or mommy, whatever it may be. Now we're going to get into over-socialization. Uh, psychologists use the term over-socialization to designate the process by which children are trained to think uh, and act as society demands. A person is said to be well-socialized if he believes in and obeys the moral code of his society and fits in well as a functioning part of society. The moral code of our society is so demanding that no one can think, feel, and act in a completely moral way. Okay. And that's, that's it. It's all unicorns and pixie dust, the moral code of our nation. That's a bunch of bullshit. The people running the country and making the laws are the most immoral and corrupt people ever. Now, if we go by God's law, that's a different story. And that's a, that's a totally different moral code, but 
Let's get back to this. Over-socialization can lead to low self-esteem, a sense of powerlessness, defeatism, guilt. One of the most important means by which uh, our society socializes children is by making them feel ashamed of behavior or speech that is concentra- uh, contrary to society's expectations, right? You, why? Because the system is producing cogs in the wheel. Anything that's unique and doesn't help the wheel go further is is a nuisance. And they're going to either beat you in to fit in or they're going to kick you out. And that's the way the system works. The over-socialized over person cannot even experience without guilt thoughts or feelings that are contrary to accept, uh, accepted morality. He cannot think unclean thoughts. And by unclean, they mean, you know, different, unique. It's It, it goes against groupthink. The over-socialized person is, is kept on a psychological leash and spends his life running on rails that society has laid down for him. Leftists of the over-socialized type tend to be intellectuals or member of the upper class, upper middle class. Uh, notice that university intellectuals constitute the most highly socialized segment of our society and the most left-wing segment. Now, he came from that group, so he has a bias towards them. But yeah, it's it, it, where, the, where is this problem being festered and percolated the most? It's on college campuses. And it's in these rich white communities that are starting this shit. On the contrary, the left takes an accepted moral principle, adopts it as its own, and then accuses mainstream society of violating that principle. Examples, racial equality, quality of the sexes, helping poor people, <laughs> you know, peace as opposed to war, nonviolence generally, the freedom of expression, kindness to animals. The duty of individual is to serve society and the duty of society is to take care of the individual. All right. And that's, but to justify their hostility to society by claiming with some degree of truth that society is not living up to these principles. Right. And be, because it's, it's, again, it's this idea of they want everything their way. And that's not how things work. Many leftists push affirmative action for moving black people into high prestige jobs, for improved education for black schools, and more money for such schools. The way of the life of the black underclass they regard as a social disgrace. The leftists will reply that the last thing they want to make a black man into a copy of a white man. Instead, they want to preserve the African-American culture. Problem is a lot of these people aren't African-American. A lot of these people are American. A lot of these people are European. A lot of these people are uh, Latin in descent, Asian in descent. They're not African American. In other words, it can express itself only superficial matters. In all essential respects, most of the leftists of the over socialized type want to make the black man conform to the white middle-class ideas. The over-socialized leftist wants to integrate the black man into the system and make him adopt his values, which is true, right? It's that, that proverbial, they want to create the Uncle Tom. The problems of the leftists are indicative of problems of our society as a whole. Low self-esteem, depressive tendencies, and defeatism are not restricted to the left. And that's absolutely true. And that's proven even more so in the last couple of years. You've seen it rise. You've seen it just destroy people. 
Okay. And he goes here, we've been told by experts how to eat, how to exercise, how to make love, how to raise our kids and so forth, right? Everybody needs someone else how to, how to tell them how to do things nowadays instead of just doing it themselves. And that's a big problem big problem. And and I see it, you know, in social media, I see it everywhere. Everybody wants to be hand fed shit instead of going and doing a little research, doing a little legwork yourself, taking that extra, extra effort on your own. Everybody wants to take the shortcut nowadays. They want to be hand fed. It's not how it's a, it's a recipe for disaster guys. And those that will be hand want to be hand fed will be the first fodder when shit hits the fan. Okay, so now let's look at the power process. It has four elements, right? We talked about it, goal, effort, attainment of goal, and autonomy. Everyone has goals. If nothing else, to obtain uh, physical necessities of life, food, water, whatever clothing and shelter are made necessary by the climate. But the leisured aristocrat obtains these things without effort, hence his boredom and demoralization, right? It's it's too easy to get these things. Like I talked about before, we're not meant to be in offices for eight to 10 hours a day. We're meant to be out in nature. Consistent failure to attain these goals throughout life results in defeatism, low self-esteem, and depression, right? It's not natural. Thus, in order to avoid serious psychological problems, a human being needs goals whose attainment requires effort, and he must have a reasonable rate of success attaining these goals, right? Can't keep failing because then you get into that defeatism pattern. Now, it says we use the term surrogate activity. Uh, to designate an activity that is directed towards an artificial goal that people set for themselves merely in order to have some goal to work toward, or let us say, uh, merely for the sake of fulfillment of the goal from pursuing the goal. On the other hand, the pursuit of sex and love, for example, is not a surrogate activity because most people, even if their existence were otherwise satisfactory, would feel deprived if they passed their lives without ever having a relationship with a member of the opposite sex. In modern industrial society, only minimal effort is necessary to satisfy one's physical needs, right? Especially now with the metaverse coming. You don't have to leave your couch. The only requirements are a moderate amount of intelligence and most of all, simple obedience. And he has obedience in all caps because that's spot on right there. They need you to obey. Without your obedience, it doesn't work, right? Why did they shut down churches? Why did they shut down bars? It wasn't for your safety. It was because those are places where people congregate and talk, kids kids activities, right? They're all shut down. Thus, it is not surprising that modern society is full of surrogate activities. This includes scientific work, athletic achievement, humanitarian work, artistic and literary creations, climbing the corporate ladder, acquisition of money and material goods far beyond the point of which they cease to give any additional physical satisfaction, and social activism when it addresses issues that are not important for the activist personally, as in the case of white activists who work for the rights of non-white minorities. So we talked about over and over. For many, if not most people, surrogate activities are less satisfying than the pursuit of real goals. That is, goals that people would want to attain even if their need for the power process were already fulfilled. More importantly, 
in our society, people do not satisfy their biological needs autonomously, but by fascinating as parts of an immense social machine, right? They're just cogs in the wheel. They get dopamine hits by advertising and buying things, materialistic goods, getting likes on social media and such. Okay, autonomy. Autonomy is a part of the power process that uh, may not be necessary for every individual, but most people need a greater or lesser degree of autonomy in working towards their goals. Their effort must be to undertake their own initiative and must be under their own direction and control. It is true. Some individuals seem to have little need for autonomy. Either their drive for power is weak or they satisfy it by identifying themselves with a powerful organization to which they belong, right? And that's where we see the BLM folks and stuff like that. We see them, the MAGA crowd, right? These are people who who don't feel as significant as individuals, but when they're part of a group, now they're powerful. But for the uh, boredom, demoralization, low self-esteem, inferiority feelings, defeatism, depression, anxiety, guilt, frustration, hostility, spouse or child abuse, insatiable uh, hedonism, abnormal sexual behavior, sleep disorders, eating disorders, etc., all come from these types of people. Now, what are the sources of social problems? Okay. There's a good reason to believe that primitive man suffered from less stress and frustration and was better satisfied with his way of life than modern man is. Can't argue that. We attribute this, uh, we attribute the social and psychological problems of modern society, the fact that society requires people to live under conditions radically different from those under which human race evolved and behaved in which ways that conflict with the patterns of uh, behavior that the human race developed while living under the earlier conditions. Among the abnormal conditions present in the modern industrial society are excessive density in population, isolation from man, uh, man from nature, excessive rapidity of social change, and breakdown of the natural small-scale communities such as extended family in the village or tribe. Right? And that's been intentionally done. You don't have these multi-generational families anymore. It, right? It's like now you push kids out of the house. Um, you don't live with your elderly. You put them in homes. It's it's so disconnected. It is well known crowding increases stress and aggression. The degree of crowding that exists today and the isolation of man from nature are consequences of technological progress. And that, yeah, people go to the cities and cities are not natural. For primitive societies, the natural world um, which usually changes only slowly, provided a stable framework and therefore a sense of security. In the modern world, it is human society that dominates uh, mother na uh, nature rather than the other way around. And modern society changes very rapidly uh, owing to technological change. Thus, there is no stable framework. There's no stability in, in the industrial technological society. The conservatives are fools, right? He's not just isolating the leftists. The conservatives are just as bad. This is not a left-right issue for the most part. They whine about the decay of the traditional values, yet they enthusiastically support technological progress and economic growth. 
And in, and these go hand in hand inevitably with the breakdown of traditional values. The breakdown of traditional values to some extent implies the breakdown of the bonds that hold together traditional small scale social groups, right? Like your town communities, your mom and pop shops. These, these are things that were really hampered and destroyed over the last couple of years. They want you to go to Amazon. They want you to go to Walmart. They want you to go to stop and shop. Beyond that, a technological society has to weaken family ties and local communities if it is to function efficiently. In modern society, an individual's loyalty must first be to the system and only secondarily to the small-scale community because the internal loyalties of small-scale communities were stronger than the loyalty to the system. Such communities would pursue their own advantage at the expense of the system. And that's what we've been talking about all along. If we can commune at a local level, the larger government is insignificant. They can't affect you as much. But if you're dependent on them, they have you by the proverbial balls. He has permitted personal loyalty to supersede his loyalty to the system. And that uh, is nepotism or discrimination, both of which are terrible sins in modern society. Thus, an advanced industrial society can tolerate only those small-scale communities that are um, emasculated, trained, and made into tools of the system. Boom. What have they been doing the last couple years? I mean, this guy is just nailing it out of the park. It's like he had a crystal ball. Crowding, rapid change, and the breakdown of communities have been widely recognized as sources of social problems. But we do not believe they are enough to account for the extent of the problems that are seen today. A few uh, pre-industrial cities were large and crowded, yet these inhabitants did not seem to have suffered from the psychological problems uh, to the same extent that modern man did. In America today, there are still uncrowded rural areas, and we find there are the same problems in urban areas, though the problems tend to be less acute in rural areas. Thus, crowding does not seem to be a decisive factor, right? There's no direct correlation because there are problems everywhere. Everyone's fucked up nowadays. You know, everybody's taking the brunt of this. In fact, he says, in the 19th century American society had an optimistic and self-confident tone, quite unlike that of today's society. The difference, we argue, is that modern man has the same largely justified that uh, change is imposed on him, whereas the 19th century frontiersman had the sense, also largely justified, that he had created change himself by his own choice. I debate that a little bit. I mean, you did have a little more, but I feel like today they're telling you it's imposed on you. You know, there is not this, go look at the news, read the newspaper. Is there an optimistic tone to any of it? No, it's dark. It's negative. It's, it's, it's an energy harvest. It goes, we contend Uh, That the more important cause of social and psychological problems in my modern society is the fact that people have insufficient opportunity to go through the power process in a normal way. Leftism, at least in its recent, he says, you know, mid to late 20th century form is in part a symptom of deprivation with respect to the power process. 
And he goes, okay, so we're going to talk about this. We divide human drives into three groups. Those drives that can be satisfied with minimal effort, those that can be satisfied only at the cost of serious effort, and those cannot be adequately satisfied no matter how much effort one makes. In primitive societies, physical necessities generally fall into group uh, group two. They can be obtained, but only at the cost of serious effort. Modern society uh, tends to guarantee the physical necessities to everyone in exchange for minimal effort. Hence, the physical needs are pushed into group one. But usually in lower to middle cl- uh, level jobs, whatever effort is required is merely that of obedience, right? Just be a good good cog in the wheel. Don't cause any, don't rock the boat, right? That's the saying that they used to say, don't rock the boat. Social needs such as sex, love, and status um, of 10 remain in group two in modern society, depending on the situation, the individual. Advertising and marketing techniques have been developed to make many people feel the need Uh, They need things that their grandparents never desired or never even dreamed of. It requires serious effort to earn enough money to satisfy these artificial needs. Hence, they fall into group two because it takes a lot of effort. Modern man must satisfy his need for the power process largely through the pursuit of artificial needs created by advertising and marketing industry and through surrogate activities. Think about the diamond industry, guys. It's all fabricated. It's all fake supply and demand. And De Beers were genius in making you believe that you had to propose with a diamond ring. Diamonds are forever. It's bullshit. It's not even true. Okay. But it's, you know, the sense of purpose purposelessness that affects many people in modern society. Very widespread in modern society is the search for fulfillment, right? People need a purpose. That need can be fully satisfied only through activities that have some external goal, such as physical necessities, sex, love, status, revenge, etc. Most people are not in the position to pursue their goals autonomously. Most workers are in someone else's uh are someone else's employee, and as we pointed uh, previously, must spend their days doing what they are told to do in a way they are told to do it. Goes back to the Rothschild quote, right? I don't want a nation of thinkers. I want a nation of workers. Today, people live more by virtue of what the system does for them or to them than by virtue of what they do for themselves. Thus, the power process is disrupted in our society through deficiency of real goals and a deficiency of autonomy in pursuit of goals. One of these drives is a need for security. Our lives depend on decisions made by other people. We have no control over these decisions, and we usually do not even know the people who make them. Again, all those doctors and legislators and all those people that made our lives hell for a couple of years and hasn't really changed a whole lot. Our lives depend on whether safety standards at a nuclear power plant are properly maintained, on how much pesticide is allowed to go in our food and how our pollution in our air, 
how skillful and competent our doctor is. Whether we uh, lose or may get a job depends on the decisions made by government economists or corporation executives and so forth. And he nails it, right? But think about this. They put pesticides in our food. They pollute our, they spray our air with chemicals. None of this is deniable. Okay. They pollute our air. Uh, doctors, leading cause of death. Mal, one of the leading causes of death in America is malpractice by doctors. And he's right, economists and corporate executives. Now, corporate executives just look at the bottom line, dollars and cents. They don't care about people. You are numbers on a sheet. The individual's search for security is therefore frustrated, which leads to a sense of powerlessness. What we feel make, uh, makes us insecure and security a sense of confidence in our ability to take care of ourselves. The modern individual, on the other hand, is threatened by many things against which he is helpless. Nuclear accidents, carcinogens in food, environmental pollution, war, increasing taxes, invasions on his privacy uh, by large organizations, nationwide social and economic phenomenon that may disrupt his way of life. But threats to the modern individual tend to be man-made. They all man-made. These are all self-inflicted wounds. They are not the results uh, of chance, but are imposed on him by other persons whose decisions he as an individual is unable to influence. And that's what it is. It's these decisions being made by others. It says thus, primitive man for the most part, has his security in his own hands, either as an individual or as a small group, whereas the security of modern man is in the hands of the persons or organizations that are too remote and too large for him to be able to personally influence them, right? Good luck getting a hold of your congressman. Good, good luck getting a hold of your any representative. Good luck getting a hold of your senators. In many other ways as well, Modern man is strapped down by a network of rules and regulations, um, explicit or implicit, that frustrate many of his impulses and thus interfere with the power process. We can do anything we like as long as it is unimportant. But in all important matters, the system tends to increasingly regulate our behavior. Behavior is regulated not only through explicit rules and not only by the government, Control is often exercised through indirect coercion and through psychological pressure or manipulation and by organizations other than the government or by the system as a whole. Media, tech companies, right? All these corporations that get on board, it doesn't have to be the government. That's why we. this is a truly fascist society. When the corporations and the government are hand in hand, propaganda is not limited to commercials and advertisements. And sometimes it is not even consciously intended as propaganda by the people who make it. For instance, the content of entertainment programming is powerful form of pro propaganda, right? It's called programming. It's all it is, is propaganda. The news, there's no journalism anymore on the mainstream news. They are selling commercials. That's why the heavy push for Pfizer brought to you by Pfizer, right? I mean, you saw it the other night in the Bills game. As the ambulance is leaving, it's going through the tunnel. What is on the tent? But the Pfizer logo all over it. 
which suggests modern man's obsession with longevity and with maintaining physical vigor and sexual attractiveness to an advanced age is a symptom of unfulfillment resulting from deprivation with respect to the power process. I don't agree with that, but hey, society must find a way to give people the opportunity to go through the power process. I agree with that. This work, this won't work for those who need autonomy in the power process. For such people value the opportunity is destroyed by the very fact that society gives it to them. What they need is to find or make these their own opportunities. As long as the system gives them their opportunities, it still has them on a leash. To attain autonomy, they need to get off that leash. So many people are on a leash today. Okay, not everyone in industrial technological society suffers from psychological problems. First, there uh, there doubtless are innate differences in the strength of the drive for power. Individuals with a weak drive for power may have relatively little need to go through the power process, or at least relatively little need for autonomy in the power process. Some people may have exceptional drive in pursuing which they satisfy the need for the power process. People vary in susceptibility to advertising and marketing techniques. This is so huge, and we saw it over the last few years. Who is brainwashed? Who has been programmed to a point where they cannot be fixed? Who was initially victim to this advertising and marketing, but then over time started sensing these patterns of irregularities and some inconsistencies and raised questions? It happens. It says people who have medium susceptibility to advertising and marketing techniques are able to earn enough uh, money to satisfy their craving for goods and services, but only at the cost of serious effort. Thus, material acquisition serves as their need for in the power process, but it does not necessarily follow that their need is fully satisfied, right? Because when you're chasing material shit, it, there's, there's always something bigger. There's always more. It's never enough. I lived in that world for a while and now I have material shit. I don't care anymore. That doesn't mean anything to me, really. Some people partly satisfy their need for power by identifying themselves with a powerful organization or mass movement, right? That We talked about that before. An individual lacking goals or power joins a movement or organization and adopts its goals in his own way and works toward these goals. And that's when it gets scary. That's that groupthink. That's when you get mobs. The phenomenon was exploited by the fascists, Nazis, and communists, and now by your United States government. Our society uses it too, though less crudely. I would disagree now because now we were full-blown. We are the same phenomena in armies, corporations, political parties, humanitarian organizations, religious and ideological movements. In particular, leftist movements tend to attract people who are seeking to satisfy their need for power. But for most people, identification with a larger organization or a mass movement does not fully satisfy their need for power, right? It's, it's, they think it's going to, but it doesn't because it's about the individual. It's about your journey. So they, you know, they try to get the power process through surrogate activities. And we've talked about that. You're not going to get it there. Now, let's get into the scientists. And this is where he has firsthand knowledge because he was in that field. 
and he goes. Some scientists claim that they are motivated by curiosity or by a desire to benefit humanity, but it's easy to see that neither of these can be the principal motive of most scientists. Some scientific work has no conceivable relation to the welfare of the human race. Most of archaeological or comparative linguistics, for example, and I disagree with that. Archaeology is huge in telling the story of mankind. Language, same way. Clearly, the emotional involvement with nuclear power arose not from the desire to benefit humanity, but from a personal fulfillment he got from his work and from seeing it put to practical use. With possible rare exceptions, their modem is neither curiosity nor desire to benefit humanity, but the need to go through the power process to have a goal, to attain the goal, okay? Other motives do play a role for many scientists. Money and status, for example. Some scientists may be persons of the type who have an insatiable drive for status, and this may provide much of the motivation of their work. No doubt the majority of scientists, like the majority of the general population, are more or less susceptible to advertising and marketing techniques and need money to satisfy the craving for goods and services. And we saw this. That was that, that was the manipulation, right? These people didn't want to lose their jobs. They didn't want to lose their safety net. So they went along with the campaign. The science marches on blindly without regard to real welfare of the human race, or any other standard, obedient only to the psychological needs of the scientists and of the government officials and corporate executives who provide the funds for research. Boom. That's it right there. Nailed it. That's 2020 in a nutshell. Had nothing to do with the benefit of the human race. That was gene therapy. Okay. Now it's good that he looks at the nature of true freedom. We're going to argue that industrial technological society cannot be reformed in such a way as to prevent it from progressively narrowing the sphere of human freedom. By freedom, we mean the opportunity to go through the power process with real goals, not artificial goals of surrogate activities and without interference, manipulation and supervision from anyone, especially from any large organization. Life and death issues of one's existence of food, clothing, shelter, defense against whatever threats there may be in one's environment, freedom from the means of having power, not the power contacted by the people, but by the circumstances of one's own life. It is important not to confuse freedom with mere permissivism, right? Freedom is not someone else allowing you to do something. That's not freedom. That's like in school, you had to raise your hand to go to the bathroom. That's not freedom. You're not free to go to the bathroom there. You have to ask and someone has to grant you permission. The degrees of of personal freedom exist in a society is determined more by the economic and technological structure of the society than by the laws or forms of government. Okay. Um, But freedom of the press is of very little to use to the average citizen as an individual. The mass media are mostly under the control of large large organizations that are integrated into the system. Very true. And he saw that in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Anyone who has little memory can have something printed or can distribute it on the internet or in such a way. But that way, he has to say, uh, was example, by the vast volume of material put out by the media. 
Hence, it will have no practical effect. In order to get our message before uh, the public with some chance of making a lasting impression, we'd <laughs> had to kill people, is what he said. Right? I mean, he he felt the only way he could get his message across was by sending those package bombs. According to the bourgeois uh, conception, a free, quote-unquote, man is essentially an element of a social machine that has only a certain set of prescribed and delimited freedoms, freedoms that are designed to serve the needs of the social machine more than those of the individual. But what kind of freedom does one have if one can only use as someone else prescribes? It's a great question. Okay, so he's got some principles of history here. Um... Let's see, what's this? This is... All right, we're going to skip those. We're going to go to... Uh, yeah. Okay, so we're going to go here to... What is it? The restriction... Yeah, okay, good. So we're going to go to the principles. An erratic component that consists of unpredictable events that follow no discernible pattern and a regular component that consists of long-term historical trends. Okay. So his first principle is if a small change in a long-term historical trend appears to be permanent, it is only because the chain acts in the direction in which the trend is already moving so that the trend is not altered, but only pushed a step ahead. His second principle, if a change is made that is sufficiently large to alter permanently a long-term historical need, then it will alter society as a whole. In other words, a society is a system in which all parts are interrelated, and you cannot permanently change any important part without changing all parts as well. And we saw that in 2020. Third principle, if a change is made that is large enough to alter permanently a long-term trend, then the consequences for the society as a whole cannot be predicted in advance, right? It's, it's not possible. Fourth principle, a new kind of society cannot be designed on paper. That is, you cannot plan out a new form of society in advance, then set it up, expect the function the way it was designed to. Look at Iraq. Look at Afghanistan. That's where America wrote down on paper. They didn't know what was going on in the ground. They removed Saddam's army and created the situation in Iraq. You cannot create this stuff. You have to talk with the people. You have to work with the people. It's their country. Fifth principle. People do not consciously and rationally choose the form of their society. Societies develop through processes of social evolution that are not under rational human control. Okay. And he says the fifth principle is a consequence of the other four. So he says, um, the American revolution was not a revolution in our sense of the word, but a war of independence followed by a rather far reaching political reform. The only freed the development or they only freed the development of American society from the retarding effect of British rule. 
The political system established by the Constitution was modeled on the British system and on colonial assemblies. If the founding fathers had lost their nerve and declined to sign the Declaration of Independence, one way of life today would not have been, uh, our way of life today would not have been significantly different. I don't, yeah, I guess. I don't know. It's hard to tell. And he says, industrial technological society cannot be reformed. The foregoing principles help us to show how helpless or how hopelessly difficult it would be to reform the industrial system in such a way to prevent it from progressively narrow our sphere of freedom. Technology, um, for technology to strengthen the system at a high cost in individual freedom and local autonomy. It's the only way these systems work. Changes large enough to make a lasting difference in favor of freedom would not be initiated because it would be realized that they would gravely disrupt the system. Thus, permanent changes in favor of freedom could be brought about only by persons prepared to accept radical, dangerous, and unpredictable alteration of the entire system. And that's where we're at right now. As we mentioned before, if there is going to be change in the system, it is going to be radical, it's going to be dangerous, and there's going to be an unpredictable alteration to the whole system, which means many people will die, many people will suffer. So even on very general grounds, it seems highly improbable that any way of changing society could be found that would reconcile freedom with modern technology it's not happening technology just becomes more invasive more invasive they use it as a tracking tool a security device you know there's so many reasons why they give us technology and it's not just for the benefit and to make our lives easier it's to make us more dependent be able to to what they're doing with the ai shit is they want to be able to predict you know in the minority report fashion what we're going to do before we do it Okay, so he says, restriction of freedom is unavoidable in industrial society. The system has to regulate human behavior closely in order to function. Bureaucracies have to be run according to rigid rules. Generally speaking, the regulation of our, our lives by large organizations is necessary for the functioning of industrial technological society. Formal regulations will uh, trend increasingly to be replaced by psychological tools that make us want to do the system, uh, what the system requires us, propaganda, educational techniques, mental health programs, things like that. The system has to force people to behave in ways that are increasingly remote from natural patterns of human behavior. For example, the system needs scientists, mathematicians, and engineers. It isn't natural for any adolescent human being to spend the bulk of his time sitting at a desk absorbed in study. But in our society, children are pushed into studying technical subjects, which most do grudgingly. They don't want to do it, but that's the way society needs them. So we have to make you learn it. And there, there's quotas that have to be filled with every year of humans, right? Every class of humans. Gradually increase the number of people who cannot or will not adjust to society's requirement. 
in any technologically advanced society, the individual's fate must depend on decisions that he personally cannot influence to any great extent. It says, even when the public votes on a decision, the number of voters ordinarily is too large for the vote of any one individual to be significant. The system tries to solve this problem by using propaganda to make people want the decision that has been made for them. But even if this solution were completely successful in making people feel better, it would be demeaning. Conservatives and other some other advocates, more local autonomy. Local communities once did have autonomy, but such autonomy becomes less and less possible as local communities become more connected and dependent on large-scale public utilities, computer networks, highway systems, the mass communications media, and the modern healthcare system, and also government subsidies. Right, That's the way the government keeps you under their wrap. They're not just giving you money because they're, they're good guys. It's an IOU. You, you, you have to play their, by their rules or you're not going to get their money. It's the Babylonian magic system. The system does not and cannot exist to satisfy human needs. Instead, uh, it is human behavior that has to be modified to fit the needs of the system. If it is not the, it is not the fault of capitalism and not the fault of socialism. It is the fault of technology because the system is guided not by ideology, but by technical necessity. No one stops to ask whether it is inhumane to force adolescents to spend the bulk of their time studying subjects that most of them hate. If human needs were put before technical necessity, there would be economic problems, unemployment, shortages and worse and we're seeing that now and not because human needs are put forced but because of the dependency the concept of mental health in our society is defined largely by the event to which individual behaviors in accord with needs of the system and does so without showing signs of stress it's a huge problem in our system mental health needs to be addressed similarly in any enterprise within the social system, workers must direct their efforts toward the goals of the enterprise. Otherwise, the enterprise will not serve its purpose as part of the system. Okay. And he says here, the bad parts of technology cannot be separated from the good parts. And that's interesting because a further reason why industrial society cannot be reformed in favor of freedom is modern technology is a unified system in which all parts are dependent on one another. Take modern medicine. Progress in medicine science depends on the progress in chemistry, physics, biology, computer science, and other fields. Even if medical pro uh, progress could be maintained without the rest of the technological system, it itself, it would by itself bring certain evils. If you think big government interferes in your life too much now, just wait till the government starts regulating the genetic constitution of your children. Right? And, and we see that. You know, by requiring kids to get gene therapy done to them, to go to school, and things like that. We're seeing this being done. 
on a smaller scale, and it's only going to get bigger. Genie is not going back in the bottle. The usual response to such concerns uh, to talk about this, uh, about medical ethics, a code of ethics applicable uh, to genetic engineering would, in effect, uh, a means of regulating the genetic constitution of human beings. Application of genetic engineering were ethical and others were not. So that they would affect would be imposing their own values on the genetic constitution of the population at large. Yeah, they, they shouldn't have the say to you know what's what's okay and what's not. Get the hell out of here. The only code of ethics that would truly protect freedom uh, would be any that uh, that prevented any genetic engineering of human beings, and you could be sure. No such code will ever be applied in a technological society. There's no way they would not let genetic engineering. We just went through the biggest genetic genetic engineering exercise in human history. Inevitably, genetic engineering will be used extensively, bingo, but only in ways consistent with the needs of the industrial technological society. Do you see it now or system? Whatever it is, you see it. It's right there in front of you, okay? He says, technology is more powerful social force than the aspiration of freedom. It is not possible to make a lasting compromise between techno technology and freedom because technology is by far more powerful social force and continually encroaches on freedom through repeated compromises. A technological advance that appears not to threaten freedom often turns out to threaten it seriously later on. Very seriously. Okay, we, we talked about this before with the Vax Pass, right? That was a big thing and that was all technology driven. Okay, we're seeing it with cars now. Cars, there's that push for electric, but even so, if not electric, even the gas vehicles are all computers. So there's very little that we can do on these things anymore, okay? One is tied down by various obligations, license requirements, driver's test, uh, renewing registration, insurance, maintenance to required for safety, monthly payments to, on the purchase price. People no longer live within walking distance to their place of employment, shopping areas, recre recreational opportunities. So they have to depend on their automobile for transportation, Okay. It's these are things that they, you know, it happens as society changes, as we invite more technology in. While technological progress as a whole continually narrows our sphere of freedom, each tech, a new technical advance is considered by itself appears to be desirable. That's how the devil works. All these technical advances taken together have created the world in which the average man's fate is no longer in his own hands or in the hands of his neighbors and friends, but in those of politicians, corporate executives, and remote anonymous technicians and bureaucrats whom he as an individual has no power to influence. Dr. Fauci, Burks, Pedros, all these scumbags that thought they we didn't vote for them, but they were ruling our lives for two years, saying what we could and couldn't do, where we could go, couldn't go, things we couldn't do, people we could, couldn't see. 
You didn't have to listen to them, but they were telling you. Few people will resist the introduction of genetic technique that eliminates a hereditary disease. Yet a large number of genetic improvements taken together will make the human being into an engineered product rather than a free creation of chance for of God or whatever, depending on your religious beliefs. And that's key, guys. How many changes before you are no longer natural? How many mRNA shots before your DNA sequence is changed? Before your biological sequence is changed, so that you are an altered human now? Technological pro uh, progress marches in only one direction. It can never be reversed. Like I said, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Technology advances with great rapidity and threatens freedom on many different points at the same time. Technicians, okay, uh, tend to be so involved in their work that when the conflict arises between their technical work and freedom, they always decide in favor of their technical work. Yeah, it, think about all the doctors that were pushing a certain gene therapy. They were doing it. Many of them thought they were doing the right thing. Many were just flat out lying, but many thought they were doing the right thing. Okay. And they favored their technical work over their freedom of choice. Most of these educators, government officials, and law officers believe in freedom, privacy, and constitutional rights. But when those conflict with their work, they usually feel their work is more important. Spot on. It is well known that people generally work better and more persistently when uh, striving for a reward than attempting to avoid a punishment or negative outcome. No social arrangements, whether laws, institutions, customs, or ethical codes can provide permanent protection against technology. There's nothing. Then genetic engineering would begin to invade our sphere of freedom and this invasion would be irreversible. If such a revolution occurs and is successful, then at a particular moment, uh, aspiration for freedom will have proved more powerful than technology. In the same way, while the industrial system is sick, we must destroy it. If we compromise with it and let it recover from its sickness, it will eventually wipe out all our freedom. I can't argue with him there because we're seeing it firsthand what's being done to our freedoms. And it, as technology ramps up, your freedoms go down. All right. So uh, we're going to skip this part. I want to go to, okay. He says revolution is easier than reform. The only way, out is to uh, dispense the industrial technological system altogether. Get rid of it, he says. This implies revolution, not necessarily an armed uprising, but certainly a radical and fundamental change in nature of society. And, and yeah, that would it would have to. A reform movement merely offers to solve a particular social problem. A revolutionary movement offers to solve all problems at one stroke and create a whole new world. It provides the kind of ideal for which people will take great risks and make great sacrifices. 
Reform is always restrained by the fear of painful consequences if the changes go too far. But once a revolutionary fever has taken hold of a society, people are willing to undergo unlimited hardships for the sake of their revolution. Control of human behavior. This is big. Since the beginning of civilization, organized societies have uh, had to put pressures on human beings for the sake of the functioning social organisms. Some of the pressures are physical. Uh, Poor diet, excessive labor, environmental pollution, some are psychological, noise, crowding, forcing human behavior into a mold that society requires. Now, imagine a society that subjects people to conditions that make them terribly unhappy, then gives them drugs to take away their unhappiness. Gee, sound familiar? Watch TV lately? How many drugs are there promising your happiness back? Drugs that affect the mind are only one example of methods of controlling human behavior that modern society is developing. Let us look at some other methods. Okay, propaganda. Mass communications media provide effective vehicles. The entertainment industry serves as an important psychological tool of the system, possibly even what is ditching out large amounts of sex and violence. Spot on. Education is no longer a simple affair of peddling a kid's uh, uh, paddling kids behind when he doesn't know his lesson and putting him in the head <clears throat> when he doesn't know them. It is becoming a scientific technique for controlling a child's development. They're indoctrination camps. His path will be much easier if he thinks and behaves as the system requires. Yeah, they don't want individual thinkers. They want you to stay in your box. Presumably, research will continue to increase the effectiveness of psychological techniques for controlling human behavior. That's television, social media. They are perfecting this. You are under a psychological operation, being constantly manipulated. You don't even know it. Genetic engineering of human beings is already uh, beginning to occur in the form of gene therapy. And there is no reason to assume that such methods will not eventually be used to modify those aspects of the body that affect mental functioning. This guy knew his shit, man. He knew what was coming. The system will therefore be forced to use every practical means of controlling human behavior. We just went through that. They did everything they could. They used fear. They used threats. They used you know, every technique they could in the book. To try to control us. If the system succeeds in imposing sufficient control over human behavior to assure its own survival, a new watershed in human history will have been passed. And it was. that The lockdowns, that was a new watershed moment. In the future, social systems will not be adjusted to suit the needs of human beings. Instead, human beings will be adjusted to suit the needs of the system. That's where they want us to go. Generally speaking, technological control over human behavior will probably not be introduced with a totalitarian intention or even through a conscious desire to restrict human freedom. It's the gradual drip, drip, drip that we talked about, like the Patriot Act, then mandates and all this other stuff. It's just, it's ridiculous. 
Thus, control over human behavior will be introduced not by a calculated decision of authorities, but through a process of social evolution. Propaganda, for example, is used for many good purposes, such as discouraging child abuse or race hatred. Suppose a biological trait is discovered that increases the likelihood that a child will grow up to be a criminal, and suppose some sort of gene therapy can remove this trait. That's that debate, right? Are we are are we allowed to when? How much? Okay, so it says our society tends to regard as a sickness any mode of thought or behavior that is inconvenient for the system. And that this is plausible because when an individual doesn't fit into the system, it causes pain to the individual as well as problems for the system. That's why we couldn't ask any questions. That's why still to this day, you can't question a lot of things without being censored. Okay. Technology is initially optional. It does not necessarily remain optional because the new technology tends to change society in a way that it becomes difficult or impossible for an individual to function without using technology. If large numbers of people choose to undergo the treatment, then the general level of stress in society will be reduced so that it will be possible for the system to increase the stress-producing pressures. Everyone complains about the trashiness of television but almost everyone still watches it. It presumably would be impractical for all people to have electrodes inserted into their heads so that they could be controlled by authorities. That's Elon's Neuralink right there. That's it. He just nailed Neuralink. Will public resistance prevent the introduction of technological control of human behavior? Will everyone get the shot or not? That was the first test. To those who think that all this sounds like science fiction, we point out yesterday's science fiction is today's fact. Boom. This guy was so based, but so fucked in the head. It's so crazy. Okay. Oh, this is this is wild. He goes, don't imagine that the system will stop developing further techniques for controlling human beings and nature once the crisis of the next few decades is over. And increasing control is no longer necessary for the system's survival. He goes, technicians and scientists carry on their works largely in a surrogate activity. That is, they satisfy their need for power by solving technical problems for the quote unquote good of humanity, right? How did we hear that? Or how many times did we hear that during 2020? For the greater good. First, we must work. Um, to heighten the social stresses within the system as to increase the likelihood that it will break down or be weakened sufficiently so that a revolution against it becomes possible. Second, it is necessary to develop and propagate an ideology that opposes technology and the industrial system. Such an ideology can become the basis for a revolution against industrial society if and when the system becomes sufficiently weakened. So you have to you have to plan strategically. You can't just do this and there will be suffering, okay? If the breakdown is sudden, many people will die since the world population has become so overblown that it can't even feed itself any longer without advanced technology. In the second place, one has to balance struggle and death against loss, against freedom and dignity. 
In the third place, it is not all certain that the survival of the system will lead to less suffering than the breakdown of the system would be. So just because it survives doesn't mean you're going to suffer less than if we scrap it. Would you like to speculate about what Iraq or North Korea will do with their genetic engineering? Well, he's playing in a little bit of the fear porn there. Oh, says the technophiles, science is going to fix it all, right? We will conquer famine, eliminate psychological suffering, and make everybody happy and healthy. They've done none of that. People, There's more hunger than there's ever been. There's more psychological suffering than there's ever been. And people are unhealthy and unhappier than they've ever been in history. Because of science, because of technology, because of their easy cures, their band-aids on bullet holes. So it is probable that in their attempts to end poverty and disease, engineer docile, happy personalities, and so forth, that the technical technophiles will create social systems that are terribly troubled, even more so than the present one. And that's we're, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Technology has gotten the human race into a fix from which there is not likely any easy escape. He knew. All right. So now let's look at the future. The future. First, let's postulate the computer scientists succeed in developing intelligent machines that can do all things better than humans can do. That's where we are, right? That's what they're trying to do. If the machines are permitted to make all their own decisions, we can't make any conjecture as to the results because it's impossible to guess how such machines might behave. We only point that the fate of human race would be at the mercy of the machines. That's where they want us to go, right? People won't be able to just turn the machines off because it will be so dependent on them that turning them off would amount to suicide. On the other hand, it would be impossible. Uh, on the other hand, it is possible that human control over the machines may be retained. Due to the improved techniques, the elite will have greater control over the masses. And because human work will no longer be necessary, the masses will be superfluous, a useless burden on the system. And that's what that's what that guy, what's his name? Um, Yuri. Is it Yuri? He's, he's uh, Klaus Schwab's little butt boy that I is always talking about. That he basically calls us useless eaters. And that's what we'll get right here, what I highlighted. If they are humane... They may use propaganda or other psychological or biological techniques to reduce the birth rate until the mass of humanity becomes extinct, leaving the world to the elite. What are we seeing? We're seeing the lowest birth rates, low birth rates right now, reproductive issues all over the place. They will see so, uh, to it that everyone's physical needs are satisfied, that all children are raised under psychologically hygienic conditions, that everyone has a wholesome hobby to keep them busy, and that anyone who may become dissatisfied undergoes quote-unquote treatment to cure his quote-unquote problem. They will have been reduced to the status of domestic animals. And that's what they see us as, guys. We are a herd. We are cattle to them. Even so, 
machines will take care of more and more of the simpler tasks so that there will be an increasing surplus of human workers at lower levels of ability. The system will have to use any means that it can, whether psychological or biological, to engineer people to be docile, to have the abilities of the system and sublimate their drive for power into some specialized task, aka the metaverse, right? Individuals, at least some of the bourgeois type who are integrated in the system and make it run and therefore have all the power, will be more dependent than ever on large organizations. They will be more socialized than ever, and their physical and mental qualities to a significant extent will be uh, those that are engineered into them rather than being the results of chance of God's will or whatever you want to call it. I, I believe in God's will, God's choice. Once you start modifying organisms through genetic engineering, there is no reason to stop at any particular point so that the modifications will probably continue until man and other organizations have utterly transformed. Now think about it. They want to keep giving us boosters, right? It doesn't cure anything, guys. It doesn't stop transmission of anything. It's gene therapy. It is certain technology uh, is certain that technology is creating for human beings a new physical and social environment radically different from the spectrum of environments to which natural selection has adapted the human race physically and psychologically. We're not made for this. Humans will break if they become totally dependent on technology. It would be better to dump the whole stinking system and take the consequences. I can't argue. And then he's going to go through his strategy. I'm not going to read you his strategy. That's where he gets a little bit crazy. He's got some okay ideas, but it's really, really out there. Okay. The last part I want to go through is what he deems the dangers of leftism. And I consider it socialism, collectivism, groupthink. Okay. The resulting influx of leftist types can easily turn non-leftist movement into a leftist one so that leftist goals replace or distort the original goals of the movement. And that's what happened, right? It went from my body, my choice to if you don't get this gene therapy, you should be put in prison. That's what people were saying. Okay. Specifically, the guy from the Jaguars, a football team here in America, a, a who said in 2021 that if you didn't get vaccinated, that you should be put in prison. Well, he just happened to die suddenly recently. Not a good look. Tweet didn't age very well. Okay. Left leftism is in the long run inconsistent with wild nature, with human freedom, and with the elimination of modern technology. Leftism is collectivism. It seeks to bind together the entire world, both nature and human, into a unified whole. It doesn't work that way. We're organisms that are meant to work together naturally. It requires advanced technology. You cannot have a united world without rapid long-distance transportation and communication. You can't make all the people love one another without sophisticated psychological techniques. You can't have a quote-unquote planned society without uh, the necessity of technological base. 
right, without the necessary technological base. Leftism is unlikely ever to give up technology because technology is too valuable a source of collective power. The anarchist too seeks power, but he seeks it on an individual or small group basis. He wants individuals and small groups to be able to control the circumstances of their own lives. He opposes technology because it makes small groups dependent on large organizations. And that's what we see over and over again. If leftism ever becomes dominant in society so that the technological systems becomes a tool in the hands of the leftists, they will enthusiastically use it and promote its growth. What happened the last couple of years? Right? That's all they did. They used the left-owned media companies and technology companies. All the tech is owned by the left. And they say, oh, well, why don't you make your own? When the Bolsheviks in Russia were outsiders, they vigorously opposed censorship in the secret police. They advocated self-determination for ethnic minorities and so forth. And as soon as they came to power themselves, they imposed tighter censorship, created a more ruthless secret police than any that had been created under the czars. And they oppressed ethnic minorities at least as much as the czars had done. In the United States, a couple decades ago, when the leftists were a minority in our universities, leftist professors were vigorous proponents of academic freedom. But today, in our universities where leftists have become dominant, they have shown themselves to uh, ready to take away everyone else's academic freedom if it hurts their feelings, right? It's so true. The same will happen with leftists and technology. They will use it to oppress everyone else, even if they get it under their own control. And that's a problem because what what these people don't realize that want censorship is that eventually they're going to come for you. You are eventually going to be the target because we are in a pendulum society, right? Things swing left, things swing right, things go up, things go down. When it's your turn, think about that. It's going to be pointed at you eventually and used against you. You cannot root for this shit. In earlier revolutions, leftists of the power-hungry type repeatedly have first cooperated with the non-leftist revolutionaries as well as the leftists of more libertarian inclination and later have double-crossed them to seize power for themselves. Leftism is not a religion in the strict sense because leftist doctrine does not uh, postulate the existence of any supernatural being. The leftist needs to believe in leftism. It plays a vital role in his psych- psychological economy. He believes um, his beliefs are not easily modified by logic and facts. He has a deep conviction that leftism is morally right with a capital R and that he has not only the right but a duty to impose leftist morality on everyone. It's their duty. Leftism is totalitarian force. Wherever leftism is in a position of power, it tends to invade every private corner and force every thought into leftist mold. You're seeing that today, right? 
independent thinkers are being called domestic terrorists. People that question the narrative are being called terrorists right now. That's the world we live in. But no, far how mo- but no matter how far the movement has gone in attaining its goals, the leftist is never satisfied because his activism is a surrogate activity. There's always more. Never enough. Right? Because it was first it was gay marriage. Then it was LGBTQ. Then it was, you know, who knows what's next. Right? I, and somebody made a great point. We might as well just take away gay marriage. And give them something to really bitch about. Even though I think that gay people should be able to get married. Why not? But, you know, if they need something to bitch about, why not give them something legitimate to bitch about? But no matter how far the movement has gone in attaining its goals, leftism is never satisfied because it's a surrogate activity, like we said. Consequently, the left is never satisfied with their goals He has already attained his need for the power process leads him always to pursue some new goal. Okay. And then it goes, and ethnic minorities are not enough. No one can be allowed to have a negative attitude towards homosexuals, disabled people, fat people, old people, ugly people, and on and on and on. And that's where we are. You see it today more so than ever. The activists will never be satisfied until tobacco is outlawed. And after that, it will be alcohol, then junk food. Etc. Hey, hey, I put junk food ahead of both of those. Get rid of junk food first, then get rid of alcohol. Tobacco, you can push it down the list a little bit. Now, suppose you ask leftists to list all the things that went wrong with society. And then suppose you instituted every social change that they demanded. It is safe to say that within a couple of years, the majority of leftists would find something new to complain about, some new social evil, some new boogeyman. Because once again, the leftist is motivated less by distress at society's ills than by the need to satisfy his drive for power by imposing his solutions on society. We've talked about this numerous times. Right, You can't have a differing opinion. You must agree. It's this collective thought, this group think that they want, that either you agree with me or you're the enemy. That's not logical. That's not rational. That's not natural. Okay, Because of their captivity for single-minded devotion to a cause, true believers are useful, perhaps a necessary ingredient of any revolutionary movement. It's quite true that many leftists, possibly even a numerical majority, are decent people who sincerely believe in tolerating others' values up to a point and wouldn't want to use the high-handed methods to reach their social goals. But the general character of leftism as a movement okay, would tend to lead you to believe otherwise. The people who rise to positions of power in the leftist movement tend to be leftists of the more power-hungry type because power-hungry people are those who strive the hardest to get in positions of power. Absolutely. I agree with that because anyone, you know, any rational, no rational person wants to be president of the United States. That's a shitty job. Nobody wants that stress, that responsibility. 
except psychopaths, sociopaths, people who need power. They demand it. It's like they're adrenochrome. Okay. They want to be told and controlled. They're puppets. Inwardly disapprove of many of the actions of the leaders, but cannot bring themselves to oppose them. That's the Biden crowd, right? They disapprove of a lot of the shit he did, does, but not enough not to vote for him. They're going to keep voting for him, even though he does that, because he's on our team. He's our guy. See, same thing with the Trumpers, right? We're just going to vote for him because the other guy is bad. Fucking stupid. Why our system is broken. These phenomena appear clearly in Russia and other countries that were taken over by leftists. Okay, go look up the USSR. Look what the Bolsheviks did there. Today, in those of our universities where political correctness has become dominant, there are probably many leftist types who will privately disapprove of the suppression of academic freedom, but they go along with it anyway. Today, leftism is fragmented into a whole spectrum of activist movements. The leftist is oriented towards large-scale collectivism. He emphasizes his duty of the individual to serve society and the duty of society to take care of the individual. He has a negative attitude towards individualism. He often takes a moralistic tone. He tends to be for gun control for sex education and other psychologically enlightened educational methods, for social planning, for affirmative action, for multiculturalism. He needs to identify with victims. He tends to be against competition and against violence, but he often finds excuses for those leftists who do commit violence. Antifa, BLM, right? They, they had an excuse for all of that. All these wars they want to fight now. They got an excuse for it. Ukraine, they got an excuse. He is fond of using the common catchphrases of the left, like racism, sexism, homophobia, capitalism, imperialism, neocolonialism, genocide, social change, social justice, social responsibility. Maybe the best diagnostic trait of a leftist is his tendency to sympathize with the following movement movements, feminism, gay rights, ethic rights, ethnic rights, sorry, disability rights, animal rights, political correctness. Who gives a shit about political correctness? Anyone who strongly sympathizes with all of these movements is almost certainly a leftist. I mean, I have no uh, feminism, I think, is a crock of shit. That was a, a psyop invented to get women in the workforce, get more tax revenue, to, to break up the family, nuclear family, make the child children dependent on the system or into the system quicker rather than home with their mother, grandmother, whatever it may be. Arrogance or by dogmatic approach or ide ideology, that's how they, they push it on you. They promote collectivist values. Enlightened psychological techniques for socializing children, like drag queen story time, dependence of the individual on the system, stimulus checks, right? Things like that. And this is interesting. These crypto leftists, and we're not talking crypto like currency. 
He says, approximate certain bourgeois types of the practical action is concerned, but differ from them in psychology, uh, ideology, and motivation. The crypto leftist tries to bring people under the control of the system because he is a true believer in collective collectivistic ideology. The crypto crypto leftist is differentiated from the average leftist of the over-socialized type by the fact that his rebellious impulse is weaker and he is more securely socialized. He is differentiated from the well, uh, the ordinary well-socialized bourgeois by the fact that there is some deep lack within him that makes it necessary for him to cause and immerse himself in collectivity. And maybe drive from power is stronger than that of the average bourgeoisie. Oh, man, that is just, you know, it's just something that's so spot on. I mean, you look at it, he nails it. And and guys, this, again, this was published in 1995, but it was written from 71 up until 95. So he saw all this stuff coming and nailed it. I mean, if that isn't a depiction of what is going on today, I don't know what is. What are the problems? Collectivism, right? Socialism, this this fascist government that we have that com- is the intertwining of corporations and government. And then you have one side with feelings of insecurity and over-socialization. Big problem. Another major problem that he brings up over and over, the power process. Right, humans need to go through the proper. They need to set goals. They need to work, struggle to attain those goals. They need to, to then, based on those goals and that knowledge they gain, they get a sense of autonomy. And that's been taken away in today's society. They want you in the metaverse. They want to hand you everything. They want to give you a um, what is it called? They, you know, they want to give you a living wage. It's not even a living wage. They just want to give you, you know. They want to pay you to do nothing, be nothing, just consume, be in their system, let them control you. They know what's best for you, right? They know what's best for your body that they're going to, I mean, go guys, go look at the fucking grocery store. Look at the ingredients in food. If you can't pronounce it, it's not good for you. I'll bet 99% of the things that you can't pronounce on that package are not good for you. But we continue to stuff our face with it and they keep giving it to us. And we go to big pharma, we get their pharmaceuticals. They don't make us better. They just make them more money. Now, do they help some people? Yes. Don't get me wrong there. I mean, some, some people, yeah, but the majority of people don't need those pharmaceuticals. There's a dis-ease in their life. Something else in their life is wrong that is causing that. That could be created without a pill. But in this allopathic medical system, that's the answer. It all comes back to the corporations, guys. And he nailed it. I agree. I think the technological society is doomed. 
And because why? It just constantly encroaches on individual freedoms. And for some, that's fine. Some want daddy government to take them under control. They want them to govern harder. More government daddy, please. I need it. Whereas other people don't want anything to do with it. And, you know, I'm in that second group. I want nothing to do with this. I want nothing to do with this, the metaverse. I want nothing to do with the technological, you know, industrial technology, technological society. I, you know, I would prefer going back to the small communities and, you know, disconnecting in a sense from the larger and reconnecting with the natural because that's a big part. Okay. And that's where we're going from here. That part of the reason why I want to do this, because he's talking about natural versus unnatural, which is what I talked about in my last episode. And this came into my head because actually there's a great Netflix documentary on uh, Ted Kaczynski. It's interviews with him combined with, uh, you know, their take on everything and the events that took place. I think it's like four parts, really good documentary, really well done. Um, and that sparked me to this book, which I did a paper on in college in one of my political science classes. I remember I did a, a, a paper on this and this just blew my mind because I've read it probably three times now uh, in the last couple of years because it's just so relevant. He just hits so many things on the head. And like I said, this could have been written 50 years ago, guys, anywhere from 50 to 25, minimum of 25, 30 years ago, this was written. And it's exactly what's taking place today. So with that said, uh, a couple things in the works coming up. Um, I'm going to eventually get together with uh, Matthew Smith again, and we have a little deep dive into uh, Seattle in the early late 1800s, early 1900s, and the Seattle, um, Alaska, Yukon, Pacific Ex Exposition. We'll look into that a little bit. And uh, but on my end, I'm going to start looking, digging into like I talked about before. Uh, some of the natural versus unnatural. And I want to get into this American history, guys. I'm finding a lot of stuff about natives. Now, when I say the natives, I'm talking about natives, maybe possibly prior to what we know as the Indians. Okay. And then what, who were the people that we knew as Indians? Because this is just fascinating and it seems relevant right now um, with all the stuff that's going on, the rewriting of history. And the way things are just unnatural. But what I think I want to do an episode on next is ley lines. Um, and I'm just trying to figure out how I want to put it together because I don't, you know, I'm not like a subject matter, a subject matter expert on them. But I've done a, done hours, a few hours of research on them and uh, have, have looked into some interesting stuff, found some interesting stuff. And, you know, the, the narrative is that they don't exist. And there's some people, many people who believe different from that. So we'll get into that. Um, and that'll be, you know, coming up here. We got ley lines. I got a whole bunch of different things like cymatics and frequencies, sacred geometry I want to look at with buildings and things like that. So we have... Uh, 
we're going to stay on this natural versus unnatural kick here and and in native america old world so guys do me a favor leave a review share the show if you're interested in some more material hit me up or go over to patreon.com slash the great deception podcast. We have all the Monday night masturbator videos over there. Well, not all of them, but I'm working to upload the older, older ones, but we have the last, I want to say 30 or so on there. I put every video of the great deception podcast that I do a video show of up there as well. Um, lot of old books. I think I'm up to like around 20 old books I got on there. I'm going to keep adding those. I have a small library of myself. I actually just ordered today two, um, two one terabyte hard drives so I can back up the show and back up all my books because I have a huge digital book, book collection that I would like to be able to share and uh, and keep because if shit hits the fan, I have some old documentation because I like to go as close to the source as possible, guys. Now that's my thing. Um, I like reading, you know, these ideas that people present today, but I want to go back to the source material. I want to get it from the horse's mouth. And that's the way we get closer to the truth. Now, what is the truth? That's debatable on everything. But from where I'm coming from, when I get to the source material, I have a closer understanding of where they were at that time and can make my own assumptions based off that. So we have Patreon. Go check that out. Guys, we got merch at the Teespring. Go check on my link tree down below. You can get merch. We got the t-shirts are awesome. I love the sweatshirts. I got my sister and my brother-in-law sweatshirt for Christmas. Um, and I have some ideas coming up uh, for some new t-shirt ideas that I'd like to put together. Again, I am not artistic. I'm not technological, but I'm finding a way to learn. So anybody that's out there that is artistic and wants to lend a hand or has some ideas, I'm all ears. I'm willing, I'm willing to talk. Um Listen, there's no monetary shit in this. I'll, I'll give you some shout outs and things like that because I don't really make any money off any of this shit. I end up paying to do the show in the end. So well worth it, though, because I love doing this and I love the interactions with you all because of this show. Without this show, I would not be doing what I'm doing today. I wouldn't be the person I am today. I've changed a lot because of this show. My way of thinking has changed a lot because of this show. I was a shoot from the hip guy initially. Now I gotta, I gotta, I like to sit on things. Let it percolate a little bit before I, uh, I put things out and, and you'll see that when we go into the, uh, American antiquities, we start looking at some of the old world America and who, who these people are. I've, I've read through this book four times now. I'm on my fourth go through of it. Excuse me, combing through different, um, you know, to make sure I'm not missing anything. Make sure I can give you guys the information you need or, you know, the information I think you are interested in. And if not, I will give you the source document and you can go read it yourself. But that's enough for tonight. 
I thank you all for your time. Again, do me a favor. If you can leave a review, share, you can hit me up on Instagram at the great deception podcast. You can find me on Patreon at the great deception podcast. We got a merch store. I got a YouTube you can go check out. I don't put a ton of videos over there because I'm heavily censored over there and I don't want to lose the channel in total. I think I actually just got the ability to be monetized, which I'm I'm not going to do it, but I think it would be kind of fun to mess with YouTube and get some money out of them But because they've been making money off me all along. Um, so that's where you can find me. We will be having a patrons-only call this Friday the 13th. Nine o'clock Eastern time. I would, I love interactions with you all. I thank all my patrons. Guys, you uh, you mean a lot to me. You keep the show going. Uh, it's very, very important to me to keep that uh, going and keep you guys uh, deserving and make sure, you know, your contributions are well invested into the show. And uh, so happy new year to all. Time to uh, make 2023 our bitch. We're going to make some moves to take over the world. Let's do it. Why not? I don't want to be ruler, but I'm saying collectively, let's take it over. Let's take it back. See if we can do it. All right, guys. Stay strong and question everything. A part of that plan, of course, is to induce the gradual surrender of American sovereignty, piece by piece and step by step, to various international organizations, of which the United Nations is the outstanding, but far from the only example. Now, here are the aims for the United States. One, greatly expanded government spending for every conceivable means of getting rid of ever larger sums of American money as wastefully as possible. Two, higher and then much higher taxes. Three, an increasingly unbalanced budget despite the higher taxes. Four, wild inflation of our currency. Five, Government controls of prices, wages, and materials supposedly to combat inflation. Six, greatly increased socialistic controls over every operation of our economy and every activity of our daily lives. This is to be accompanied naturally and automatically by a correspondingly huge increase in the size of our bureaucracy and in both the cost and reach of our domestic government. Seven. Far more centralization of power in Washington and the practical elimination of our state lines. There is a many-faceted drive at work to have our state lines eventually mean no more within the nation than our county lines do now within the states. Eight, the steady advance of federal aid to and control over our educational system, leading to complete federalization of our public education. Nine, a constant hammering into the American consciousness of the horror of modern warfare. The beauties and the absolute necessity of peace 
Peace always on communist terms, of course. And ten, the consequent willingness of the American people to allow the steps of appeasement by our government, which amount to a piecemeal surrender of the rest of the free world and of the United States itself.